Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. Nice to see you. I add my sincere welcome and, and to Joe's, and it is, it's great to be together. We were, we were made to come together. We were made to go apart. We were made to come together. We were made to go out, and I love being here among you. It's good to see you on a Sunday night. My name is Matt. Um, it's true, Matthew Perry, and I, I am um, standing in tonight. With, it's my pleasure. I've said to Don over the years, and he knows, if, you, if you're ever not well, and I'm ready to jump in, and to Chris, you know, if you're feeling sick on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, you know, don't, don't just sing a song and send people home. Give me a buzz. And I think maybe they got the feeling that I didn't like their preaching or something. <laughs> but the good thing is they, that this is the first time it's happened in years. Bless him. Um, and the other cool thing about this, I think, just pondering this topic, is if it's really rubbish tonight, you can say, oh, it's cool, we only had a couple of hours to prepare. But if it's really good, you can say, wow, you only had a couple of hours to prepare. Uh, whatever, I do pray that I encourage you and inspire you and bless you in your walk with Jesus. And if you do have any complaints, uh, write to don at gatewaychurch.org.nz. That's the email address. My uh, normal day job, um, which I love and I've been in for uh, 12 years, is the Far East Broadcasting Company. And that's what this slide is. Uh, this is just, one, just a simple introduction to what I normally do. Uh, it's a mission organization, if you're not familiar with it. We are a, an international radio and media mission organization. And so that's just illustrative of uh, hundreds of radio stations that we are partnered with all around the world to bring outreach and discipleship Christian broadcasting into vastly non-Christian environments, all those places covered under the orange mat uh, by both old-fashioned radio, AM and FM, and uh, every app under the sun carries our signal in some language somewhere. And at last count, our broadcasting partners were in over a hundred in 145 languages increasing and uh, over 1,700 hours of broadcasting every day. There are 24 hours in a day and there's more than 1,700 and that's just our ministry and there are other ministries who do similar things. So I, I hope that encourages you and blesses you and that's a little bit of where I'm coming from. And um, now where we're going... If you like to follow, we're in Luke 14, and we're going to look at the parable of the great banquet. This parable has captured my attention this year, and the cool thing about my job is I do get to speak in a lot of different environments, and I get to go into conservative churches and crazy churches and quiet churches and big churches and little churches, and I, and I get a really a broad picture of the body of Christ, and it's really cool. And the one thing I get from that, and I've had it from this year that I want to encourage you with, is there's only one church, and we're part of it, and there's one Lord and one faith, and though we are very diverse and different in all sorts of ways, there is one church, and we're part of it, and it's beautiful, and we've sung those beautiful songs tonight that have pointed us in that direction. We are in different places, ages, stages, all that kind of thing, but you belong to this incredible community 
of Jesus' lovers and worshippers and followers and God-reflectors all over the world. And, and then this parable in Luke 14, and if you want to follow, open up your device or your Bible to uh, Luke's Gospel, and I will go to a few other places, and I want to make a, a number of observations in this text. For years, I've heard this text preached a few times, and every time I've heard it preached, it's been about the excuses that people make. We're going to read the text in a moment. But we're not going to touch the excuses tonight at all. If you heard the parable of the great banquet and you thought, oh yeah, I've heard all that. I'm going to feel bad about making excuses about not following Jesus. That's not what we're here for. It's not what it's about. But I want to make three other observations from the text that have thrilled me uh, recently that I hope will bless you and bless your heart tonight. So uh, before we, just before we read the text, so this is an occasion, this is sort of like a Sunday lunch thing, it's Saturday lunch. So Jesus, this is the situation, Jesus has been at lunch with friends and others, acquaintances, Pharisees and religious people. And he's been at lunch and there's been some argy-bargy, he did his usual trick of healing someone on the Sabbath, it was Saturday, and upsetting the really religious ones, and they're having a bit of a go, and it's, it's possibly a bit awkward. There would have been lots of bread, there would have been lots of noise, there would have been a, 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 a kind of uh, hospitality, pleasure, and buzz. But it's Jesus with really religious people. And they weren't impressed with him healing a guy. And there'd been a question. But then they moved on a bit, and maybe it was still a little bit awkward, but they moved on, and the topic of the resurrection came up. And these people were looking forward to it very much. The end of the age, the resurrection, when all the, this Roman occupation is done with and we can be resurrected. And, and of course, his, his host and the people he was eating with were thinking, oh yes, we'll be there at the resurrection. You know, we're wearing the right clothes and we do the right thing on the Sabbath. And you know, they, there was a sanctimonious self-righteousness about some of these people. And then we come to this text. So let's, let's bring this up and I'll read this text aloud. So this is where we're at. When one of those at the table with him, that's Jesus, heard this, now what he'd said, sorry, this, what this is, is this. Um, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So blessing and being good to people who can't repay you. And Jesus said, you'll be blessed at the resurrection. And so into the topic of eternity and, and life eternal in heaven, we launch. And when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, well, I've just, sold a uh, I've just brought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. 
And still another said, well, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Wow, this is the word of God. You know, I'm sure you know, a parable is a story that parallels the kingdom of God. It's a story about normal life, this, that parallels realities and principles of the kingdom of God and our now Christian life and walk. And so obviously the, 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 uh, the host, the, the um, man of the house, the wealthy owner, he in the story represents God. And there are other people like the servant and the ones who make excuses and they actually represent a number of people. But Jesus jumped on this, this comment for a number of reasons and this is one of them and it's delightful. Jesus loves to fill God's house. Jesus loves to fill God's house. It has always been his plan. Have you ever had the, I'm going to say obviously, the false idea that heaven is an exclusive club and um, you're not in until you're in? But it was not God's idea that we didn't all go to heaven and we didn't all spend eternity with him. It wasn't his plan that things got messed up, but he can cope. He's sovereign, and he is coping. But God's desire is that each and every one of us and all of his created peoples are in heaven, with him, in his presence, in his company, in his new creation, enjoying all of creation the way it was supposed to be enjoyed. And we see that picture in the garden in, in Genesis 1 and 2 when Adam and Eve sinless, in creation, in the world, in the wilderness, enjoying walking with God, talking with God, being with each other, life. And that was God's intention. Of course, it was his intention for it to be developed. And that's another sermon altogether. Go, and multiply, go, go out and multiply and fill the earth and, and have reign and dominion over it. That's another another sermon, but it was always God's intention that we build cities, that we become sophisticated, that we become cultural people, diverse, interesting, different, fitting together, blessing and loving each other, being good. It was always God's intention. And Jesus loves to fill God's house. And we know that from the text. And that picture, by the way, is a prayer meeting in Mozambique, um, and I just grabbed it because it was a picture of the most people I could find on my photo collection. Uh, but it is a prayer meeting, so that's cool. Um, but it's, it's an idea of many, many, many people. And in the text early on in verse 16, so if you've still got it open in Luke 16, 
it says, it uses an interesting word. A man prepared a great banquet and invited many guests. Now that word, many, is exactly the same word, and it's used throughout the New Testament, but it's used in Revelation 7 verse 9. After this, so bear in mind, in the story, this is at the end of life. This is John at the end of, of uh, speaking of the end of our earthly, this sinful earthly existence. And it's kind of like our welcome, it's kind of like a welcome picture to the party of, of the beginning of eternity in heaven. It's kind of like a, a, an O party, an O banquet. And it says, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude. And that's the same word that Jesus used in the parable. A great multitude. Many, 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 many people. It was always God's intention that heaven be filled with many. Many from Hamilton. Many from New Zealand. Many from all the nations. An uncountable multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. It was never God's intention that anyone not get to heaven. This is big on Jesus' heart. Many guests were invited to this banquet as an as a illustration of the great uncountable multitude that God is preparing for heaven and eternity. We also know it from the text that this is the desire of God, this is the desire of Jesus' heart. From verse 22, when the, when the, um, the host of the party said, go out and invite everybody you can find on the streets. And the servant says, well, I have, but there's still room. There's still room. It's not as if heaven has walls and, and there's a carrying capacity like an elevator, you know, only X number of people or X number of kilos. Oh, whoops, sorry, heaven's full. It doesn't work like that. Not at all. There is still room. Do you know how we know that Jesus hasn't come back and we haven't missed him? Because there's still room. When there's no more room, which is a nonsense, he'll come back. In other words, stay busy inviting people closer to Jesus because he loves to fill heaven. He loves to do this. This tells us that our ministry as followers of Jesus is a ministry of invitation. Your ministry, whatever, whatever way you work it out, whatever you're good at, Whatever are your natural gifts and talents and skills and your learned competencies, they fit together somehow into your ministry of invitation. You're part of a body that invites people into it. You're part of a community that goes out from itself and invites people in, that goes out from itself and serves people and blesses people and gives to people and cares for people and heals people and invites them to look at the one who loves them and made them. Take a closer look at Jesus. It's an easy invitation. Have you, have you ever heard of Jesus? Do you know anything about Jesus? Do you think about the God who made you? This is me being inviting people, by the way. Thinking of things that you can say, things that you can do to 
invite people in to the kingdom of God to take a closer look at the king, anything at all. Then you're in step with Jesus. And the third thing that tells us that Jesus loves to fill heaven from the text is that the master says that this is very strange and an often misunderstood word in the text. Remember how the master said, well then, he said a second time, go out to the roads and the streets. In other words, he's saying, go to all the places where people gather. That's what this idea means. That's what Jesus meant. Go to the roads, go to the highways, the byways, go to the corner, go to the main road, everywhere. Go where people gather. And it says in the text, in many translations, it says, urge them to come in. Compel them to come in. They're kind of weird words. They're not perfect. (laughs) They're not perfect. I don't know what the message is. I should have looked at that. That's probably quite good. Uh, Joe, you can look up the message for me. But uh, what it means is this. It doesn't mean put their arm up their back and shout Jesus at them and drag them into church on a Sunday night. It doesn't mean that kind of urging. What it means is this. The heaven that God has prepared for all people and all creation is almost too good to believe. What God has prepared for us, what God wants for your life today, and what he has for us who, who are resilient and, and hold the faith to the end, is almost too good to be true. In that case, he says, urge them. And what he means is, make sure they understand that even though it sounds too good to be true, it is true. Be convincing. That's what it means. Now, that isn't to put a load on you to say, well, you've got to have all the fancy words and all the right words. As much as anything, it just says, be sincere. Be yourself. Tell your own story. Tell people how you got over the fact that it sounds too good to be true. But God is gracious and compassionate and slow to become angry and abounding in love and faithfulness. And you will be compelling you will be compelling because God wants to fill heaven with people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation and he's doing it and that's his purpose. It's unstoppable. We just follow him. Does it say anything different in the message? Drag Drag? Oh, okay. (laughs) Thanks, Eugene Peterson. No, it (laughs) doesn't. Great. <laughs> okay, well, that's why we do this. That's why we do this. In fact, if we had time, I'd, diverse, I'd diverge into Colossians 1, where Don would have been speaking, and, and look at how it says in Colossians 1, this can be your homework, you know, that, that we labor to understand and to be presented to God. There is, there is work to be done in this because it's a translated word not only in language, but in culture and time. It doesn't mean that. In fact, some people in the early church misunderstood it so badly that they did force people to come to church. One of the complaints of the early, earliest church in the third and fourth century was that they made people go to church because they were springing off this kind of, this text in this badly, badly understood thing. <laughs> no, but that's why we need to dig deep into the word of God and search and join connect groups and study it, and dig down into the language. Plug, plug. (laughs) 
You are convincing when you tell your story, you trust Jesus, and you exercise faith, and others will see him in you. Don't, don't worry about being fancy. Jesus loves to fill God's heaven. The second thing I want to point out that jumps out at me from this text is that everybody is looking forward to something. We're all looking forward to something. We're all hungry, longing. We all recognize that there is an emptiness or a gap or something broken with the world. You don't have to watch the news or listen to the radio or wander down the street for too many days to realize, yeah, I think it was supposed to be better than this. Even though you might have a wonderful life and a happy life and a blessed existence and great relationships, but what's the news tomorrow night? Something is very wrong. We long for better. And we all look forward to something. And I have studied world religions. And as Andrea said, we lived in the Middle East and we, we've lived amongst uh, hundreds of millions of Muslim Arabs and some Christian Arabs and others. And everybody has a paradise that they're pursuing. All religions put a paradise of some sort in front of people and tell them how to get there. And we'll come to our distinctive and our difference in a minute. All religions do, but even your non-religious neighbors, even the most secular people, the most secular communists, the most whatever the terms are of all the isms, everybody is looking forward to something, even if it's annihilation. Plenty of people have said to me, and I'm sure people have said to you, well, I'm not so fussed about what happens when I die. I think I just become part of the universe. That's annihilation. Or maybe I become a part of the earth, or I come back as a bird, but it's still something that they're looking forward to. It doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun if you're in a cage this big and you get fed the same stuff day in, day out. It's not, not a whole lot to look forward to. Annihilation is nothing to look forward to, but lots of people look forward to it because it explains an out from the broken world. I'm familiar with a religion, very dominant in the Middle East, that has a very enticing eternity if you're a young man. But every religion puts something in front of us to draw us through. Even Countdown puts something in front of us. You know why they put the bakery at the back of the, of the supermarket? To appeal to your inner desire for bread. <laughs> and you go in the front door and you can't just get the milk and the bread by the front door. They're never there. They draw you all the way to the back of the supermarket. Because Countdown understand this principle. We're all looking forward to something. <laughs> and if you can tap into that hunger you can draw people into your world. In their case, sell you some more stuff. The banquet is a, both a symbolic and a real picture of the great celebration that we have awaiting us in heaven. And there is an Old Testament scripture that the Jesus' hearers would have been quite familiar with uh, in Isaiah 25. And this is just one text illustration of what the, the, the Jewish people had in mind when they thought about eternity. 
On this mountain, Isaiah said, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. Now that is the Old Testament Jewish picture of just, it's a, it's a tip of the iceberg of what to look forward to. It's going to be a party. There's going to be partying and there's going to be non-partying. <laughs> but there is going to be celebration, real food, real drink, real tables, real knives and forks maybe, real bread, real w- buffet, whatever. But it's very real and it's very delicious and it's go- it would have been very expensive in the world if you were paying for it. But there's more in Isaiah about coming and eating you without money. So whatever the currency of eternity is going to be, we're going to enjoy great things. And God has been putting beautiful, enticing creation in front of us for all time. Let me have a look at another text. Let's bring up First uh, Peter. This, I think John, Don touched on this this morning. Absolutely perfect. Peter, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance. That's what we look forward to that can neither perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Whatever you're looking forward to this week, whatever you're looking forward to this year, whatever you're looking forward to next year or whenever, remember the most amazing thing that you have to look forward to is your inheritance. And it is being kept, guarded, unspoilable, untouchable, unperishable, it is being kept for you. And it is a living hope. This is our living hope. Don touched on this very, very topic this morning. One more. Uh, Oh yes, this is where I was going to go earlier. Thank you. Our inheritance. I put this in at the last minute. Actually, the whole thing was the last minute. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't, really. Um, ponder this as you look forward to whatever you look forward to. Whilst I said that every religion, Hinduism, Buddhism, communism, Islam, every religion, every ideology, every idea puts something in front of us, some of it will be, um, you know, you'll be a better person. Only Christianity offers, sorry, this does sound like countdown. I didn't mean it to sound like that. The truth of Jesus is that only Christianity, only Jesus offers you heaven as a place of love in your personal conscious self. You will be yourself. You are yourself. Who you are, your style, your your self, your soul, your personality, you are unique You're unique, even in in this quite big gathering, in the face of eight billion living people on earth, you're still unique, and you are loved. That's unique, that's amazing. You're loved for who you are. Even with the messy bits and stuff. But we took communion because the blood and the body of Jesus cleanses us from all sin and we're robed in the righteousness of Jesus. 
So forget the yucky stuff for a minute and enjoy the love. Your personal conscious self will exist for eternity. You're not going to become a mushy angel floating around in heaven with a harp. That's not the picture of heaven that we believe or preach or teach or look forward to. It's not an inheritance that we particularly want. It's, it's resurrected life together with a community of saints with God dwelling amongst his people. We'll come to another text on that in a moment. Your personal self, your resurrected self in a perfect physical body. Two people are going to be out of jobs in eternity. Pastors and doctors. Yeah. <laughs> Lawyers, hopefully. I don't know. No, I didn't say that. You did. I don't know. I, that, that's another wonderful subject, but I think... I think we will be amazed at the vocational satisfaction and work pleasure that there is waiting for us in eternity. It's another topic that Joe and I are going to talk and preach on maybe in the future because we talked about these wonderful ideas. This is part of our living hope. Jesus is our living hope, but, but these ideas are helping me to put flesh on that hope. Well, what does it really look like? What will we really be doing? Well, we'll have perfect physical bodies, and so we'll be able to do a lot more than we do now without hurting and without paracetamol. <laughs> and we'll be in relationship with God himself by faith, not works. Everybody's looking forward to something. Think about what you're looking forward to. A.W. Tozer a great Christian thinker and writer of last century said this, we do well, it's not on the screen, we do well to think on the long tomorrow. It's a healthy Christian practice to think forward. I can't wait to be with you, Lord, when I can't wait for, for the undisputed relationship that you created us for and what we're going to do together, all of us. Right, next one, last one. Thirdly, we're being made ready. In the text, early on in the, par in the parable, rather interesting, in verse 17 of the text, at the time of the banquet, the master sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. I think we've run out of time for, for, for uh, throwing this open, but... I always thought that that meant that the banquet was ready. And Jesus told this parable several times to different crowds in slightly different ways. So it's not just a retelling of the same parable. It's, a, it's an adjustment of the same parable in Matthew 22. But what do you think was being made ready? I always thought that it was the food <laughs> that God was cooking for us. Now, that will be true. There will be food in heaven. We will enjoy those banquets. But it is my understanding of the text that it isn't the banquet food that's being made ready, but that it's us. That's why we're still here. That's why the years are still going by. We still celebrate Easter and Christmas year after year. We're still here. Jesus hasn't come back because for some wonderful, mysterious reason, God is still making ready the nations. Sure, there are probably, must be millions of millions and millions of people 
in eternity and, and, and heaven. But we are still being made ready. The church on earth of every tribe and tongue and nation and people. Look at this from Revelation chapter 19. Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Same word. Always wonderful to look for the words. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Same words that were spoken at the lunch on Saturday that Jesus said, I've got a story for you. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Happy are those. Fortunate are those. Blessed is a, such a small word. It's like out of their minds with joy are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. In other words, that's John's way of saying, this should be written down and repeated. <laughs> you saw those words in the parable. We are being made ready. The bride, we are the bride. It's one of those pictures, those illustrations. It takes a bit of getting your head around, maybe a bit more for a guy than a, a woman, but it's true. We, the church, the people of God, are being prepared as a bride, and there will be a wedding. There will be a wedding, full stop, <laughs> and there'll be a wedding banquet, and there'll be a life together. And of course, it's a picture, it's an illustration, it's a metaphor, but it, God designed us that way. And he put us into marriage for that reason, so that we had a picture of what was coming. Our beautiful, happy, satisfying union friendship with God. Next one, please, Josh. And we're going back to 1 Peter, where we were before, to finish off with this. This inheritance, so we're picking up where we were, is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of that salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. How do we get ready? This is, this is the crunchy bit. How do we get ready? What is, our, what is our readying work? I suggest that it's very simplest. It is through faith. Exercise faith. Exercise faith. Trust God. Exercise trust. Believe Jesus' words. Believe the word. Believe and act on it. Exercise faith. So we continue and we persevere in reaching out and serving our neighborhood and serving other nations from the church. We believe in Jesus, we follow him. Last one, please, Josh. Um, and I, I, I just want to flip this idea on its head as we finish. We're being made ready. Randy Alcorn is um, one of my favorite authors at the moment, and if you want something to read over the Christmas holiday, I suggest two books. One is called Heaven, and the other one is called Happiness. And they're both uh, a bit too long, but if you just read the first half, you'll be well and truly blessed. <laughs> and he says this, and this is bouncing off of uh, John chapter 14, 1 and 2, where Jesus says, if I go away, I'm going to prepare a place for you. 
And I love this. Christ is not simply preparing a place for us. He's preparing us for that place. How cool is that? You're being prepared. I hope that helps with the stuff you're facing. I have no idea, of course, but God knows what you're facing. And in the midst of it, he cares and he loves more than you can imagine. And part of that, without me, sorry, being simplistic or shallow, but I'm, sh I'm sure, I'm convinced, I'm sure that I know that I know that deep in my heart, because of Jesus, I can say, whatever you're facing, you're being prepared. There is redemptive power in this messy life that God is pouring in. And it's worth it. It's worth it. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.